The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. What's doing? Thanks for tuning in. I'm glad that you did. Welcome to the Paul Leslie Hour. This episode features who I think is a very thoughtful, very sharp guy. Dylan Orenstein is with us. Mr. Orenstein works for singer, songwriter, and author Jimmy Buffett. A lot of you are familiar with this new studio album from Jimmy Buffett, Songs You Don't Know by Heart. Dylan is listed as associate producer, along with Delaney Buffett. This album, the new one, was inspired by a video series also called Songs You Don't Know by Heart, and Dylan Orenstein was very much a part of that. I'm very glad he and I connected. There's a lot of very interesting things, and if you're a serious Jimmy Buffett fan, this is probably going to be a gold mine. If you prefer viewing, I may also add that there is an audio-visual version of this interview, a video, which you can find on YouTube or by going to thepaullesley.com. 2021 is upon us. And I am hoping that the Paul Leslie Hour does more and more new things. You can help the show keep going. Just go to thepaullesley.com. Up at the top, you'll see support the show. It only takes a moment. Your help is most appreciated. Now, let's get into the interview with Dylan Orenstein. Paul. Dylan. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. It's exciting. good. You are in New York right now. Yeah, I'm in Manhattan. Manhattan. Yep. So tell me, what did you do today? We actually had a really busy day. We just launched our second uh, vintage Jimmy tour t-shirt online. So we're, we've been working for weeks on that. And we just launched it today. And we sold $3,000 in the first $3,000 worth in the first 10 minutes. So the fans are liking it. How about that? Yeah. I went to the dentist today, and I have to say I was incredibly entertained by all of the technology. He was showing me this, like, I mean, it was mind-blowing. Maybe I'm I'm too easily entertained, <laughs> but, <laughs> but actually, there's a funny story about that, uh, a, a little funny story anyways. His name is Marius. He's from Romania, and uh, my dentist, and he follows the interviews that I do. And the last time before I did the interview with Delaney, I asked him, I said, he was asking what's coming up on the show. And I told him and I said, uh, are you familiar with Jimmy Buffett? And because he's he's from Romania, I thought maybe he didn't. And he yeah. said, of course, I've heard of Jimmy Buffett. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, look, it's, you know, he's known around the globe. That's true. So this is a good time to introduce our guest, Dylan Orenstein which I think is, I happen to think that's a great name. <laughs> By any chance, are you named after Bob Dylan? I'm not actually. I've gotten that question a couple of times in my life, and uh, I was not named after Bob Dylan. I think it was just my parents, you know, for whatever reason, like the name Dylan, and, uh, you know, it, it stuck ever since. So. <laughs> okay. Well, your official title, it's Chief Information Officer. What's that? Investment Officer. Investment Officer. Okay. I, I was close. <laughs> but CIO. Yep. So, so tell the people out there, what exactly do you do? What, what does that involve? 
Yeah, well, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me on here. Uh, this is my first one-on-one interview podcast. I obviously did the classic Buffett podcast with Delaney. So I kind of like got to play off of her and, you know, benefit from that. But this is my real, you know, come to Jesus moment where I have to meet my creator. So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Uh, in terms of who I am, for I'm sure the majority of people wondering that, uh, I work with Jimmy. Um, and when I describe what I do, I really just say that I work for Jimmy because that role encompasses a lot of different things. If I had to kind of boil it down to what exactly I do, I would say it kind of breaks down the three sort of core things. Overall, I'm focused on the strategy of Jimmy as an individual and as an artist. So that's an overlying goal that I have, thinking about how to maximize Jimmy's exposure in the most powerful, positive, high-quality way. What I really do on a day-to-day basis is, as of late, myself and my you know business partner who I work with, Rob Meter, we run the merchandise store on JimmyBuffett.com, which we've used as a platform to go back and really uh, you know monetize a lot of latent intellectual property for Jimmy's old tour T-shirts, and we're gonna do a lot more of that. So that's kind of how. I spend most of my day-to-day sort of, you know, and my function is that role running that store in e-commerce. And then sort of on the side, consistently, but sometimes a little more sporadically, I work on Jimmy's personal business interests. So when Jimmy gets an opportunity to invest in a company or there's a potential partnership, I serve as, at minimum, the conduit between Jimmy and that third party. And often I'll serve as the proxy of Jimmy when working out those kind of opportunities that come, which is quite frequent given that so many people want Jimmy involved with their enterprise or new project. So that's the broader scheme of what I do, but it changes on a day-to-day basis. And what I like to say is that the title is not really important in the job. Uh, It's really, I work for Jimmy and my job is to make Jimmy's life as easy and as positive as possible leveraging whatever I can based off my training or skill set or age, which obviously I am, you know, 29 on the younger side of people in the organization. So that's sort of the way I, you know, assist Jimmy on a day-to-day basis. It's very interesting what you do. And the reason that I wanted to talk to you is because of that podcast that you did, uh, stories we could tell by the classic Buffett, And I thought, this is a guy who has a very profound understanding of what's going on. There were a lot of things that you said, and I thought, wow, what an, an, and I know you're a humble person, I can tell that about you, but what an intelligent statement that you made. So anybody who wants to check out that podcast, I recommend that they do. It was very interesting. Dan is the guy's name, Captain Dan? Dan Smith. (laughs) He could be a captain, I don't know, but. Dan Smith uh, is the gentleman who runs Classic Buffett, and I'll give Dan a little background and plug here. Dan is the perfect example, and I think actually the most common example of our fans, in that this is someone who Jimmy has meant a lot to in his life. Uh, He moved down to Key West because of Jimmy, and he does nothing other than post those old great pictures of Jimmy and run the Stories We Could Tell podcast because he loves Jimmy. He's not employed by us. He doesn't get compensated by us. He just does it because he loves spreading the good gospel of vintage Jimmy, uh, which is in some way different than maybe, you know, I always like to talk about, and I talked about this in the podcast, the kind of bifurcation in 1985 of 
maybe what you assume of Jimmy now, the very heavily commercialized version of Jimmy versus Jimmy in those Key West and Nashville years, which hasn't been forgotten, but it's not necessarily what you would assume when someone says Jimmy Buffett. So Dan's goal is to really promote and highlight that. And I was thrilled to do his podcast because I want to support him. We support him on our page in the Jimmy Buffett you know, social media world, which myself and Rob really kind of manage and operate in conjunction with the business stuff that we do to promote and raise awareness. But that was fun for me because it was Dan is a great example of a guy who is just a fan, who loves to be involved and is very passionate about what he does. So we did the podcast. I did it with Delaney, Jimmy's daughter, who was my partner in the Sanction of My Heart Project. And, uh, you know, she's the real draw in all of this, right? Everyone wants to hear from Delaney. We kind of have, you know, Jerry Seinfeld, Larry David type relationship on Seinfeld for the Sanction of My Heart. She's the public figure. And I was the guy in the background. And I was happy to have that role. But it was a fun experience. And I'm glad you enjoyed the interview. It was the first ever podcast I did. Like I said, that was me and someone else. Now, this is my first ever one-on-one podcast. So we'll see how I do relative to that. But it was a fun experience and Dan's a great guy. So if you don't follow Classic Buffett already, you should because it's a really beautifully curated account. Well, that brings up this point. Um, You know, something that I notice in the world of Jimmy Buffett is the importance of these allies, people like Dan. They're not employees of Jimmy Buffett, but I see there's probably more so than most artists, especially artists of his size, there's an interest in in a two-way communication street. Mm-hmm. It looks like you guys are really paying attention. Yeah, I mean, I have the benefit that you know, look, we in, in in today's world, communication between someone of celebrity like a Jimmy and a common fan is now done vis-a-vis social media. And given that myself and Rob manage those accounts on behalf of Jimmy, it's really Rob and I just assist him in that. Uh, I get to see every piece of, you know, I like to call it fan mail. Now it's really direct messages and comments. And it's a wonderful experience getting to interact and engage with these people. And it is very true. Jimmy's fans really enjoy being a fan of Jimmy. If you use the word parrothead, you could not. But much of the things that they do, whether it be Meeting of the Minds, the parrothead clubs, the tailgating, it's out of love for Jimmy, but it's not actually a direct result of something that Jimmy set up in terms of infrastructure or a paid event or something of that nature. And I think that is unique to Jimmy in that he has his own following and community, which really kind of exists in parallel to Jimmy. And Jimmy likes to say, well, I just provide the background music for the lifestyle that these people have chosen to live. And it's very true and it's very unique and it's very distinctive to Jimmy. And there's a reason why he's been doing this for 50 plus years because of the way his fans behave and what he gives them in order to allow them to live that kind of lifestyle that they want. So what is it like for you? As you said, this is the modern fan mail is social media. What's it like for you when you read these comments from people and when you interact uh, uh, with people who are Jimmy Buffett fans? Mm-hmm. Well, first of all, I'll say that there's a difference in the two scenarios. There's the fan mail and correspondence that I see vis-a-vis the Jimmy verified accounts where people are directly reaching out to Jimmy. And then there's the people that directly reach out to me. And what I like to say is that I'm the deep cut 
of the Jimmy world. If you know who I am and that I exist, you've reached the upper echelon of <laughs> fandom in terms of parrot heads, probably any artist. But there are a few people that have sniffed me out, and that blows my mind. But I've really enjoyed getting to interact with the fans. They never come under the kind of predisposition of wanting something, whether it's through Jimmy's account, whether it's through my account. They're not saying, oh, can I get an autographed picture of Jimmy? Will we sign my flip-flops? Could I you know, have him come perform at my wedding? It would mean everything to me. No, they literally come expecting nothing. It's a community. They want to express how much Jimmy means to them. They want to engage with me. A lot of it has been about the songs you know by Heart Project, which they're very grateful for and they're excited about. So I would say that it's very abnormal for people to behave in a way that's not directly in their self-interest. And for me to see the selflessness on the part of the fans when they engage with Jimmy, it's really a testament to how much they love Jimmy and how important he is to them. And I don't necessarily have a direct comparison, but I'm sure if I were to look at the correspondence to fans of other artists, you know, in the same ilk or genre or vein of Jimmy in terms of how important and prominent he is, I'd have to imagine that that correspondence wouldn't be quite as genuine and quite as special. So in my day job, one of the best parts is interacting with people because I consider myself more a Jimmy Buffett historian than a Jimmy Buffett fan. I was a history major in college, and I love studying the backstory of what Jimmy did this, what he was doing, where he was living. And when I talk with the fans, I'm late to the party. We'll be talking about saying, oh, God, you know, you that song on Advantage Remain. They're like, yeah, man, I was there when it came out. It was great back then. And I'm like, oh, you're right. And that a lot has to do with songs you know by heart, which was really an accidental smash hit because it was a proxy of my own journey through Jimmy's song catalog and getting to know his work better. And what happened was that my experience was so universal amongst his longtime fans that it really resonated well with them. And I realized, wow, what I experienced over the last year and coming to these realizations about Jimmy's kind of deep cuts prior work, the fans have been feeling this way for way longer than I can possibly imagine. So it's fun for me. And they're great people. It's a great community. And, uh, you know, Jimmy realizes that. And that's why he loves the fans so much. Do you notice any commonality among these people, the fans of Jimmy Buffett or the Parrot Hits? Well, I think that the commonality amongst the Parrot Heads is less to do with any kind of personality traits or socioeconomic background. It's really just a desire to enjoy and embrace escapism in its purest and most authentic form. And I always equate to anything related to Jimmy to going to a baseball game. I'm a big Yankees fan, so I always use it in that, in that guise. When someone hits a home run out of the park, you're turning around, you're slapping hands with the guy next to you, you're all cheering, you're all one and the same. doesn't matter what job you have, what background you have, what your education is, uh, you know how, how good your life is going, if you're on the top of the world or the bottom of the world, you're all together as one. And it's a very universal feeling. So I would say the Parrotheads are very united around that sense and what they're looking out of life and what's important to them. And it's less so exactly what their background is, where they're from, how wealthy they are, how not wealthy they are. Uh, and I think it's a very universal, broad feeling. And Jimmy's able to capture the hearts and attention of so many people because it is such a 
universally intuitive feeling that he's selling and promoting to you. So not necessarily something distinctive to the fans, but more so the feeling or emotion that they seek and Jimmy provides them, which is kind of the commonality that I see with all of them. You're tapping on some interesting things here. I was taking a walk today and uh, I was thinking about this and I was thinking, gosh, and I'm going to hold it up. Uh, this is the Songs You Don't Know by Heart album. First, it was a video series, and um, it's become a lot of things. It's become a T-shirt. It's become a, a line of ice cream, which I would I, I, I would love to experience at some point. But uh, you're you're listed as an associate producer on this album, and um, yeah. you know this is what I was thinking. I was taking a walk, and I was thinking about this interview we were about to do, and I thought. How fascinating is this? Because the majority of these songs were written and recorded before you and I were alive. And yet they they still are resonating with people in a very, very deep way. And I think a lot of artists would be envious of that. And I'm curious to know from you, why do you think that these songs have had such an incredible life, such longevity to them? Well, it is funny that you say that because that was the experience that I had on kind of the other side of the lens, seeing the reaction and response to the songs that we put out there. And what I like to kind of talk about and go to in my own rationalization of this, it really goes to the question of why has Jimmy been so successful for as long as he had? And, you know, thinking about sort of why fans have carried these songs with them in their heart for 50 plus years or why they speak to them now. Because like I said, actually on Dan's podcast, you know, Captain the Kid, for example, that song came out in 1970 and we got thousands and thousands of requests for Captain the Kid. I have to believe that a very small percentage of the people that requested that song were actually around for the Down to Earth album and or purchased it when it first came out. And it goes back to my point of why people love Jimmy and have such an intimate relationship with him. The cheap answer for that is, well, Jimmy Buffett is just all about fun drinking and partying. How could people not like that? That is the incorrect answer, in my opinion. The real answer, in my opinion, is that Jimmy has a very deep understanding of human nature. And what Jimmy does is that through these songs, for whatever reason, he taps into something that's important to you, whether it's the way you were feeling at that point in time in your life, your hopes, your dreams, what bother you, something about that song, whether it was, you know, Captain the Kid or the other 16 songs that are on the album. Jimmy tapped into something that meant something to you and you feel like Jimmy understands you. When Jimmy says something, you say, wow, you know, that guy gets me. And Human nature is predisposed to have a very warm affection towards people that understand you. And that's the reason why I believe Jimmy is, has such loyalty in his fan base, because they see themselves in Jimmy. What Jimmy markets to people is a very desirable, aspirational lifestyle, but Jimmy makes it seem very accessible and attainable, when in reality... We can't really attain Jimmy's lifestyle. He's a world-famous musician with a tremendous amount of wealth and power and influence. 
but in some ways you see yourself in Jimmy and that's why you feel so close to him. So in my opinion, it's an understanding of people and an ability to tap into their intuitions and emotions. And I actually think it's a, it's a deep understanding of the American sensibility because the ideal that Jimmy sells you is actually a very American ideal. This notion that you're really just slaving away now to get to retirement, relaxation, a carefree environment. I think that's very much an American ideal. So ultimately being, I think Jimmy is a very, very deep intuition around human nature. And that's why the fans carry their songs and carry him in his heart. Now, the natural question is, well, how does Jimmy do that? And I don't have an answer for that. I would equate it to saying, well, how does Michael Jordan dribble the basketball like that? How the hell does Mark Twain write like this? You know, why does the Mona Lisa keep staring at me in the loop? I don't know the answer to that. Jimmy does. That's why he's Jimmy Buffett and we're not. If I had the answer to that, I, you know, would be zooming from a much larger house than I'm in now. And, he, you know, I respect that of him. But to say that, oh, it's just fun loving and beach and who the hell couldn't like that? Very cheap one dimensional answer to that. And the Song You Know by Heart Project, I think, is very much a testament to that because Jimmy does not play these songs on the road. He hadn't re released them for some of them 50 plus years. But the fans still went to each of those shows hoping that Jimmy might slip in the encore. He might play it. He might give them exactly what they wanted. And that's more than just, oh, you know, I want to have fun with my friends and drink some beers. That's a much more deeper intuition around human nature. And that, in my opinion, is the genius of Jimmy. Dylan, you are a deep, articulate cat, if I may <laughs> say. Thank you. Very well stated. What do you think, if you could maybe put it into words, is there perhaps a bigger purpose to your work, the work that you do? Is there a, a bigger meaning for it for you? Well, I think that this year in particular made it all the more clear about how important the work that we do. When I say we, I mean the intimate team that supports Jimmy and really the work that Jimmy does, because more so than ever, people really needed Jimmy this year. And no, of course not. We were, we're not developing a vaccine. We're not in the front lines. We're not saving lives. But the work that we've been doing and continue to do is really important. And I always go back to the point about how I personally understand levels and magnitude of success. I come from a traditional finance background where success was very much equated with how much money you can make. And obviously, people who are highly successful typically have made a lot of money. But I think there's another rung of success where the work you do is actually really important to the person or group of people that consume what you put out. And I genuinely feel that one of the reasons why Jimmy has not packed this up and moved to a beach and said, see you later, I've accomplished everything I could, is because he feels a great sense of responsibility to the fans and understands that they need his work in order to process, in order to emote, in order to function. And that level of success is very, very rare. And Jimmy's accomplished that. 
So in terms of the work we're doing, it goes back to the point about the, the conversation I've had with the fans. The comments that we got around songs you know by heart were really, really moving. They would be moving to someone who wasn't even involved in the project. And I showed many of those comments to Jimmy. He actually sat down and read through all of them. And he was very, very moved to the point of tears reading about the reaction that people had to this project. So like I said, it's not going to change the world, but it's really important in my opinion. And for me, the ability to work really hard, make sure that my work product and the product that we put out is the highest caliber it can possibly be, and then to give it away to someone else who's going to derive such a level of utility and happiness from it is the best part about my job. And it's very much a driving force because so much of what we do, we're in the fun business, like Jimmy says, but it's still business. We work very hard and everything that we do is very meticulous. And even with the Songs You Know by Heart project, even though it was so simple on paper, every frame, every photo, every question was really, really thought out to give the air of simplicity because we wanted to be that way. But for me, I'm able to work a lot harder and put a lot more of my soul and passion into it because I know it's going to make someone else who I don't even know and I'll never meet really, really happy. And that's what keeps Jimmy going. So I think that the work now is really, really important. And that's why Jimmy is full on focused on how I can create, how I can provide. And even you know, if we're not on the road for the next couple of months, I still want to be there front and center and make sure that these people who I love are happy and can function and cope with everything going on. As far as what you do day in and day out, what is your favorite thing to do in terms of your current job working for Mr. Buffett? Well, my favorite thing that I do on a day-to-day basis really is centered around the merchandise that we're doing right now. Uh, for everyone who hasn't seen it yet, we've been releasing Jimmy's old vintage tour t-shirts on jimmybuffett.com, which is a relatively new website, which is a great place to go to learn more about Jimmy as the songwriter, the artist, his philanthropy, what he does on a day-to-day basis, kind of outside of the Margaritaville ecosystem. And it's been a really fun project because myself and Rob Meter, who I work with on this, we got to go through 40 plus years of archives of old vintage tour t-shirts, pull out the designs that we wanted, try to really replicate the product exactly or as close as we can to the original. And then we have a lot of fun to put it out there and market it because the fans, many of them remember that old shirt or had the original version. I like to say that you're probably three th- three sizes larger now than you were back then, and the shirts beat the hell, so you can get a little bit of a you know facelift on the shirt that you used to love. And on a day to day basis, that's really fun because it's it's very much a history of Jimmy. Uh, it's something that the fans really love and are excited about, and I think it's great for the Jimmy Buffett brand as a whole to be focusing on these you know nostalgic vintage likenesses or you know designs that he used to have. And that, that takes up a majority of my day-to-day as of late because we just launched a new product and, uh, you know, that takes a fair amount of work. But overall, it's been one of the most fun things that I've done uh, on a day-to-day basis. What would you say it is that you have learned from Jimmy Buffett? Well, I've learned a lot from Jimmy. And I would say that 
kind of the broader life lesson that I've taken away from Jimmy is that it's important to embrace the fact that failure and disappointment is an inevitability in life. And you can never get to success unless you go through both of those. And that has really resonated well with me because over time, I've realized how failure is a natural part of life. There will be disappointment. I accept that as an inevitability. And what I've tried to do in terms of my own personal growth is to take fear and failure and use it as a tailwind for my life as opposed to a headwind. I like to learn from those experiences because you learn a lot more about yourself when you're out on your ass and life seems horrible than when everything in the world just seems to be breaking your way. So Jimmy really practices and preaches that. And it's all the more powerful when he says it and he conveys it because, like I said, this is someone who's achieved a level of success that you know I can't even fathom across any metric that you want to throw at him. So to me, that's kind of the overarching life lessons that I've learned from Jimmy, among other things. And then in terms of for the day-to-day practicality of the job, Jimmy's been, as always, generous and very forthcoming about how to build a great and durable brand, how to market a product in the best way possible, how to grow and maintain a very loyal customer base. And, uh, you know, those things in my mind are kind of our trade secrets. So I'm not going to give them away to the audience right now. But I would say that in terms of how warm and generous he is, I wish that everybody could have the relationship with Jimmy that I have. Because the most idyllic, wonderful, positive idea of him that you have as a fan, all I can say that him as the person is all the more better. And I'm lucky to have that relationship with him. And in fact, my relationship with Jimmy is particularly unique because I've known him through two very distinct roles. Delaney has been my best friend for the past 25 years. So I've known Jimmy as the father of my closest friend in the world. And now I know him as my boss. So I would say in both regards, he has always been just the most incredible person to me and everyone around him. And everyone says with Jimmy, you get what you see. They're really right. Uh, And I think that authenticity is one of the reasons why the fans are so drawn to him because, you know, it'd be very hard to fake that wonderful, positive, generous persona that he gives out to the world for 50 plus years like he has. That's great to hear. And I'm sure a lot of people are glad to hear that about him. You know, in the 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 podcast show that you did for the classic Buffett's stories you know by heart, or uh, stories we could tell, I mean to say, I'm mixing my titles up here. Uh, you mentioned, and I thought this was interesting, that you went back and you listened to the entire catalog so that you would be well-versed in it. Yeah. And what... What did he, what did that experience do for you? How did you how did that change maybe the way you looked at his catalog, which I would guess is probably 400, 500 songs? Well, I would say that it gave me a whole nother level of appreciation of the talent of Jimmy. Um, I'll be candid in that I say that, you know, my admiration and idea of Jimmy's talent and success was largely around marketing and branding and being a performance artist that had an incredibly intimate and authentic relationship with his crowds and fans. Now, when I went back and listened to albums that I had never heard before, 
whether it was Down to Earth, High Cumberland Jubilee, A1A, Havana Daydreamings, really his early Nashville to Key West albums, I took a step back and I said, God, you know, Jimmy is an unbelievable songwriter, not just a performer, not just a marketer, not just a brand builder. So I would say that that to me was the realization I took away. And it was that experience that really was the genesis of the Songs You Know by Heart project, because I had the inclination that, you know, I'm sure troves of fans feel the same way that I do. And Jimmy should be playing these songs more because they are incredible. And I'll make the argument that Songs You Know by Heart is the best album that Jimmy's ever put out. Because this is a lot of ways a greatest hits album, but it's the greatest hits of Jimmy as an American songwriter. And I would stack the quality and caliber of those songs up against anything that you might think about in the traditional canon of the last hundred years. So that was the realization that I took away and it gave me a whole new appreciation for Jimmy. And it spawned this sort of vintage nostalgic theme that we play with, play with across, you know, merchandise and music and branding. Um, so it was one of those accidental things that really opened my eyes and, uh, you know, I'm still exploring it and uh, going with it to this day. You're absolutely right. He is one of the greatest songwriters that we have in American music. And I, I think that things like this project, Songs You Don't Know by Heart, are going to cause more people to come to that realization because there's some songs. I have this fond memory of uh, one time was putting together a radio program and uh, my old producer and engineer, Jeff Pike, who has played with Jimmy, and uh, we played, I think, Wonder Why We Ever Go Home. Mm -hmm. And we'd heard that song many, many times, of course. But when the song finished playing, we were for a moment without words. And then finally, Jeff went, and I said something like, uh, you know, when he knocks it out of the park, it just clearly just it clears the park, you know. So and I'm, I'm curious because this Songs You Don't Know by Heart album has some real, real artistic gems on there. In your personal preference, could you say that there's one that stands out to you? Well, my favorite song of the project is Death of an Unpopular Poet. It's actually my favorite song Jimmy ever wrote. I think it is a meticulously crafted, beautifully poignant song that you would never expect to come out of, you know, Jimmy Buffett as you know him or perceive him. And the reason why I like the song so much is because I think that going back to the point of what I think encompasses the genius of Jimmy is that it has, it demonstrates a tremendous understanding of human nature. And there are two things in the song that I think that Jimmy did tremendously well. One, in terms of leaving the money to the dog, it's a horrible thing that he's suggesting that he cares so little about the security and future of his family that he'd rather let his hound eat bacon than leave them the royalties to the songs. And it's, it's a horrible thing that he's talking about, yet he does it in a way that is disarming because he's talking about a hound named Spooner and it's kind of funny. The line of the song that I enjoy the most is, no, he was just a poet who lived before his time. And I think Jimmy has put his thumb on one of the 
core, core realities of human nature with that line. I think it's near impossible to find someone who truly wants to admit that they're a failure, or they're mediocre, or their life was just blah. And what Jimmy is suggesting with that thing in terms of, oh, well, he was just a poet of the first time is that, oh, no, 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 I'm not a failure. I'm just misunderstood. And that, that line to me is about the rationalizations that we all make about the failures in our life, but also it's kind of about the lies that we tell ourselves in order to process tremendous disappointment that we go through. And with that one line, I think Jimmy encapsulates that reality tremendously well. And to me, it's funny because Death of a Popular Poet is actually the most popular parrot head funeral song. Hmm. I can't understand that exactly because the song in his essence is basically about a life lived where you never got to experience or enjoy the success or appreciation that you always knew that you deserved and should have happened. So to me, if I'm lying in the casket and that's, that's the tune that's going to send me out into the abyss, I don't know. It seems to me like I wouldn't be too thrilled. I would rather get somewhere over the rainbow or what a wonderful world. I mean, that's not the song that's going to be played at my funeral, but the fans really enjoy it in terms of, you know, they think it encapsulates, you know, a great farewell kind of song for your funeral. And it's funny because I have so many theories about Jimmy's songs. I am under the belief that every single song that Jimmy wrote, he essentially wrote about himself. So Jimmy's entire song catalog is a Romana clef. So in this situation, I think that Jimmy's the unpopular poet. But the best part about my job is that I get opportunities where I get to float my conspiracy theories to Jimmy and see if I have any validity of them. And every single time that I come to him with a theory about a song, universally, he tells me I'm wrong. I sit down, I say, Jimmy, you know, I was thinking of this song, you use this word, I think this is you, this must have been to this point in your life, you were living here, you were doing this. And he goes, Dylan, I thought it was funny to leave the money to a dog. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so it always happens anytime I come up with some brilliant theory about Jimmy's songs. But like I said, the best part is that I get to ask the source directly. I still believe I'm right. I don't know if that's my arrogance, but you know, at least that's what I took away from the song. And I'm happy with just where I'm at in terms of my own personal analysis of it. I really, really like your analysis here. And um, I would wonder, and I would maybe propose the idea that it is probably about himself in ways not to speak for him, but maybe that he doesn't exactly know, you know, because mm -hmm. it's through the lens of his own experience and his own life. So, yeah. And I think that that speaks to the point we're here talking about this song. We are assuming that we know what Jimmy thinks or how he wrote it because we assume that we're Jimmy. We, you know, he, we're basically stepping in for his mind and his creative spirit. We assume that he thinks just like us. And you can see Jimmy has sucked us into the song and we feel an emotional, personal connection to it. So the fact that the song may have just been about a dog, uh, that could be true. It doesn't take away from how I was moved by the song and how it framed my understanding of, you know, feeling 
underappreciated in personal relationships and how to quantify the success in your life. So Jimmy accomplished the goal he wanted. Uh, and the answer of how he really wrote it or why he wrote it is actually really not important to the ultimate outcome of our experience that we had as listeners. And that shows you the caliber of the work that he's put out. Hmm. Now, Dylan, would you like to sing that favorite line of yours? <laughs> I'll leave the singing to Jimmy. <laughs> I don't want you to lose all your viewers. Oh, come on. Well, you know, you're in good, you're in good company. There, there, as you know, there's another Dylan. Yeah. This one, who that he said that that's one of his favorite songs. He did. Fascinating. Yeah. And he's right. <laughs> there was a, a concert and I, I've actually been writing down this uh, on a, on a piece of paper about this memory that I had. I was still in school. I was seeing a Buffett concert and I was out on the lawn and there was this guy he was pretty drunk. He kind of looked like Santa Claus and I had an umbrella and he, uh, I remember this guy very well. And he said, can I join you? And I said, sure. And he got under the, he got under the umbrella with me and my friend. And he said, you know, death of, death of an unpopular poet. And I said, yes, I do. I do. And we started talking about it. And I remember what he said very well. He said, if they don't know that song, then they don't know Buffett. <laughs> I think he's right. <laughs> Jimmy's favorite song. So, you know, I think that leads to something. You know, we mentioned this ice cream from Morgan Stearns. Mm -hmm. Dylan, have you had this ice cream? Well, so that actually was a, a project of mine that I worked on from inception to consumption. Well, uh, Jimmy and I went down to the ice cream parlor. We, went, we met with Nick Morgenstern, who runs that business. He is another tremendous creative and, you know, his canvases, flavors and tastes and things of that nature. And uh, he came up with this great, you know, four pint thing where he really incorporated Jimmy's song lyrics into the flavors. You know, so there's like, for example, the wine and I know it's coffee flavored ice cream. Right. But it's used from ground coffee beans from the Cafe du Monde and their beignets. So. Once again, it goes back to the point, whatever we put out there that seems really simple, we have spent hours thinking about it and trying to make it as thoughtful as humanly possible and to keep that quality, which I believe Jimmy deserves from the people that work for him. So the ice cream was a logical thing. I think Jimmy, like you said in your interview with Delaney, has to be the greatest patron of food and or meals in terms of the musical world. So it made a lot of sense. And uh, the fans have really been enjoying it. It's just a fun Christmas gift. Uh, but as much as, you know, I enjoy ice cream, moving forward, I'm going to stick to eating it as opposed to producing pines because it actually took quite a amount of work. And I'm happy to have that ship sail into the abyss and move on to the next thing, frankly. Hmm. Well, as you've mentioned, uh, there, there's so many different things that Mr. Buffett has attempted. Now it's in, in collaboration. Of course, his lyrics have become ice cream, which I am an ice cream man. I love ice cream, but if you could use your imagination and I know you have some inside Intel, but just using your imagination, what could you see Jimmy Buffett doing that he hasn't yet? 
Boy, that's a good question. Um, hmm. Well, I think that I don't. I don't know. He's he's done pretty much everything that I can think of. You know, I can say it under the lens of sort of you know what he can do to kind of address it in a different way and reach a different kind of customer base and fan base, uh, which will be him doing more collaborations and partnerships with younger artists and younger brands. And I think that Jimmy will kind of have entree into a different kind of generation, different demographic through that. Um, in terms of what Jimmy could do that he hasn't done already, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I have an answer to that. Jimmy's done a lot <laughs> I don't think Jimmy even remembers all the stuff that he's done at this point, but I know that there's been over, you know, 80 licensed categories just in Margaritaville alone. Uh, you know, he's done everything from sunscreen to retirement homes to, you know, cheeseburgers. He's really spanned the full gamut. And what I've realized is that it's not always my job to tell Jimmy what I think he should do. Jimmy is an unbelievable intuition about what he should do. He's always right. Even if it kind of sounds strange at first, you go home and sleep on it for a night and you always say, God, you know, that's, that's why he's Jimmy, man. He's right. That's a great idea. So I guess we'll have to see. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'll tell you this. Um, and I probably will make some people mad out there, but if he could make the songs you don't know by heart, volume two, maybe even three, I'm with you. I think this is one of the coolest things he's done. Mm -hmm. That's my two cents. <laughs> well, it's funny because we've gotten a lot of people asking, people asking my personal life, but also I see it, you know, online, if there's going to be a sequel to songs, you know, by heart. And I have to admit that I'm very torn on that because on one end, we could do songs, you know, by heart 25 for the amount of songs that were requested. But in terms of for the practicality of it, we have to understand that Jimmy is on the road all the time, whether professionally or personally. This was an absolute unique, tremendous gift that Jimmy was in one place for an extended period of time with Delaney there, mind you, that we got him to sit down and keep him busy and focus on it. So I don't know if we're ever going to get him to be in one place like that, focused on one thing again. Uh, and also, too, I would say that I'm torn because, frankly, that project in my mind was perfect. And I don't know if I want to go and mess with that. It could be great where it's the same kind of thing, just more songs, or it could, it could feel a bit overdone. And I'm under the belief that you always want to give people a little less than what they really want. And that is a recipe to preserve the integrity of projects. So... My answer to that would be totally get it. We could do 20 more of these if we wanted to. I would just say that we will only do it if it makes sense. And we can ensure that it will be the same level of special excitement, authentic that we had the first time around. Well, you guys certainly know what you're doing. So knows <laughs> what she's doing. <laughs> well, you live in Manhattan and, um, I'm curious to know, because I ask this almost no matter where somebody is, what is your favorite restaurant? Well, my favorite restaurant is a restaurant called Mezzaluna. 
which is between 73rd and 74th and 3rd Avenue. I'm an Italian food fanatic. I really don't have much of a sweet tooth. It's more of a salt pasta pizza tooth. And uh, I've grown up in that neighborhood and I still love going back to this day. So my dream situation one day, if I lived an alternate life, this will never happen, would be to run an Italian restaurant and to serve pizza and pasta and just eat all the profits away. So that, that, that is my you know side dream that I'm sure will never actually come to fruition, probably to the benefit of me. <laughs> well, I'm sure a lot of the people watching this are curious. I see this poster immediately behind you, Cowboys. Mm-hmm. What is that? So that's a Richard Prince poster. Uh, Richard Prince is an American painter. Uh, and kind of in one of my hobbies, um, I, I love art. I love modern art. I love photography. I've collected photography for 10, 12 plus years now. Um, and uh, I just love that poster because I think a, a cowboy is an incredible representation of the you know, American dream and the American sensibility. And uh, I like leaning into, you know, real pillars and stereotypes of mainstream American culture. I don't buy into the whole, oh, this person is too well known. This person's too famous. I enjoy those things. So I always think cowboys are fantastic. And it's funny that Jimmy plays with that theme a decent amount uh, in his work. And obviously we did Cowboy in the Jungle on the album. But I think he feels that same sense of, you know, Americana, freedom, just hitting the road uh, that, you know, people who love cowboys do, too. So that's why it hangs there. And, uh, you know, I enjoy it. I remember you mentioning in the Stories We Could Tell podcast that you're a fan of Hemingway. Mm-hmm. So tell us, not just limited to Ernest Hemingway, but what is your favorite book? Well, I could easily say a pirate looks at 50, be a good company man. Uh, and I really did enjoy that book. I think it's a wonderful book. Another, another piece of Jimmy's creativity that uh, doesn't get the credit that it deserves, even though it did quite well. Um, in terms of my kind of longstanding favorite book, Sun Also Rises, I think, is the most perfectly written uh, you know, novel of all time. I think you can look at it from so many different levels and layers of analysis. I think it's a Shakespearean caliber piece of work. Um, And Hemingway has always been someone that I really loved. Uh, And it's fun because he's so tied to Key West too. I would say that him and Jimmy are really the poster boys of Key West. Um, And that's what we've gone down there. Like we went down there to record life on the flip side. It's fun for me to kind of bask in that Hemingway-esque environment that Key West still possesses. Uh, while also being there with Jimmy and getting his take on that as well. Could you perhaps tell us a favorite film of yours? Well, my favorite movie of all time is The Birdcage. I think The Birdcage is the most perfectly done comedic piece of all time. Every inch of that movie is funny. Every facial expression, every physical gesture, every line the way that movie was cast, it's just, it's perfection. So that to me, I think is the best comedy of all time. And I could easily say the Godfather for a drama, but I don't want to be too cliche, but um, 
to me, great comedies. There's nothing better than that. I'm a huge Woody Allen fan. Love his work. I think it's all brilliant. Um, and I do love film, but you know, I haven't been to a movie obviously in I think a year now at this point. So that'll be the one of the fun things that I hope will come back after the vaccine because it's something that I enjoy doing. And I often go alone as much as people think that's strange. I think it's a wonderful experience. So hopefully I'll be back. You'll see me alone in a movie theater sometime. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm also a, a devoted fan of going to the movies alone and also going to eat alone. Sometimes it can be, uh, it can be a, a different experience, but very, very valid. I think. I agree. And you have good taste in movies. I watched The Birdcage twice this year. Mm-hmm. I'm a, just a, I'm a film nut. Yeah. On that note, you know, I just watched um, this documentary the, the, that Delaney directed, Wallace. Yeah. And I had seen the other one, uh, the one about the mermaids now. Yeah, and spring. she's a great filmmaker. She is. She really is. I mean, she, like I said on the other podcast, she has a very, very innate ability to take any topic that she's looking at and draw a very human element out of it. And I think that's her gift. And I think some of that, like I said, probably comes from Jimmy, but Delaney has her own unique spin on it and her talent and her ability to look at a subject and bring it to life in the medium that she does, which is obviously film. Is very distinct and unique to her. Uh, Wallace was great. Was great. I loved Wallace. Another example, similar to The Spring, where you have a wild topic that you come with a predisposition, like, oh, this is crazy. And you leave that going, wow, I kind of I kind of get what they're talking about. Maybe, maybe this isn't so crazy. And that's the ability of Delaney to do it. And I think if you look at the song Genome by Heart Project, she very much humanized Jimmy in that project. You saw a totally different side of Jimmy. He was just a father. He was a guy stuck in quarantine. He was someone who was sitting there talking about past experiences and past life. In that moment, he was not the kind of idea of Jimmy Buffett. He was a very authentic version of Jimmy. And that project would never have worked if it wasn't Delaney doing it. So she gets the absolute credit for that. Uh, It was funny. And when we were going through the process... And uh, Delaney had, had talked about this in the interview she's done about it. We often had a lot of different reactions to what Jimmy would say or his answers to things. I would always go in and say, you know, wow, you know, God, that's so beautiful what Jimmy said. And that really moved me. And we got to keep that in. It's the best part of the whole docuseries. And Delaney would be like, I hate it. It's horrible. <laughs> He's rambling. It makes no sense. But the reality is, is that, you know, no one's a prophet in their own land, right? Still his father. She came in with that angle and I came in with somewhere between, you know, a good employee and a depraved fan. So that was a good balance for us to come into it. But like I said, this project should not be viewed as uh, Jimmy Buffett's daughter with an iPhone watching him play music. No, this is a talented filmmaker who had a subject which was a very daunting task to humanize someone who was larger than life and to make everyone feel like they were in the room with him and make it as intimate as it felt. So that's a testament to Delaney. Um, I couldn't have done that, but, you know, she, she's, she's very talented um, and she's very modest about her talent, but 
I'm here to let the world know how talented she is, which she is. <laughs> Dylan, email has become our modern communication. And this is something I have been asking, and it, I keep asking it because I keep getting interesting answers. Do you have a most memorable email that you ever got? Well, I don't necessarily have one particular memorable email I've ever got. Most of the email I get is, where's this? We're late on this. What's going on with this? But I would say that anyone who works with Jimmy or knows Jimmy, and this is something I don't think is known to the public, he is a masterful email writer. His emails are not, hey, how are we looking on this? They are real notes like you would find in a diary of a you know 1400s person who was off at war writing back to someone that it's really a it's a craft of art and you want to go back to the question about what i hope jimmy would do someday i said to jimmy one time i said we should do a coffee table book where we take all the emails that you've written over the last 15 years we'll redact the names like the Mueller report We'll overlay old pictures. We'll make it a beautiful, bound, heavy coffee table book. We'll call it No Reply at All by Jimmy Buffett. And that that's it. I said, that's it. Bestseller. So I'm hopeful that someday Jimmy will do that because his emails are actually fantastic. Did not expect that answer. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Dylan, what is the most, uh, I don't know, what, maybe the best, what is the best thing about the life that you live? Well, I, I would say that the, the best part about the life that I live is that I'm able to work for someone who is a kind and decent person who I admire as not only a professional, but as a human being whose large scope of work I am proud to promote and champion. And at the same time, gives me the freedom to add my own contribution and vision around what he's already created in order to drive him and us to the future. So I would say that as a, as a professional life, it's as good as it can get. Uh, and that has nothing to do with it being Jimmy Buffett. It just has to do with him being a kind and decent person who I really admire and respect. In terms of for my personal life, the best part about the life I live is that I have longstanding relationships with people who I have given nothing to but friendship and have provided me with support and genuine, genuine affection through the best of times, but most importantly, the worst of times. And when you go through life knowing that people have your back, I believe that any challenge that you are presented with seems relatively manageable. So for my personal philosophy, good work really feeds the soul, certainly feeds mine, but great people in your life make good work possible. So that's my answer about why my life is great at the moment. And like I said, it has nothing to do with the fact that I get to hang with Jimmy Buffett. It's about the caliber of people that I've been privileged to know and have really been there for me through all stages of my life, both good and bad. 
Hmm. Well, this uh, this interview has been one for the books, and as I like to do on the Paul Leslie Hour, I always like to give the guest the stage at the end. And when I say the world, you know I mean the world, because when I did that interview with Delaney, for example, man, the emails I was getting from people were in places like Ukraine in some cases. I'm serious. And so for anybody, because as we discussed earlier, the world of Buffett fandom is international. For anybody who's watching or listening to this, what would you say to them in closing? Well, I would say in closing that it is a great time to be a Jimmy Buffett fan. And that as a fan, you should know that what I certainly think is the sharpest, most engaged, most passionate team of people supporting any mainstream creative in the industry is behind what Jimmy does, that we take a lot of pride and thoughtfulness in what we do. And we have a great, great plan ahead of us over the next, let's call it five, even 10 years to continue to provide you with exactly the kind of Jimmy Buffett content, uh, product, experiences that you want. Uh, so I would say that you should feel great knowing that you got a wonderful ride ahead of you. And I would also say that I'm very appreciative of the support that we get on a daily basis. Uh, not just the songs, you know, by Heart Project, which, like I said, was really moving to me and everyone involved, but just on everything that we do. We're so lucky to have the fans that we have. Jimmy loves them and it always stands in service to them. So I would say, if you're not on board yet, you can ditch your favorite artist or musician and come on to our ship. We'll be happy to have you. And I think that as good as it's been for the last 50 years, the best is still yet to come. The best is yet to come. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everybody. <laughs> but Dylan, thank you so much. Really, it's been a, a joy to talk to you and to get to know you. You've said a lot of interesting things, and I'm appreciative of that. Thank you for having me. This is a crazy 2020 experience I could have never dreamed of. And, uh, you know, I'm just appreciative that you would have me on and let me say my piece. My pleasure. Goodbye.